1: Welcome to another episode of Axe the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello,
2: Kat. We had, we had snow today, a little bit of snow.
1: That is the very Canadian thing to say to me. Uh, I, I saw that you have flurries, which... For the non-initiated, means you had little bits of snow,
2: just little bits coating the ground.
1: Yeah, Katie
2: uh, asked me, "What's flurries?" I'm like, "How do you not know <laughs> what flurries is?" I she, guess she
1: grew up in California. I mean, oh my goodness gracious! I remember flurries very well <laughs> from when I was growing up. But uh, yeah, so we got a lot to discuss in this episode. We're going to talk about the departure of Hajime Tabata from Square Enix. We are going to investigate the very strange appeal of Geno from Super Mario RPG and we are going to fondly remember Fire Emblem for the Game Boy Advance because it is the 15th an- last weekend was the 15th anniversary mm-hmm. of its official release in North America the the moment when all of the waifus came to America <laughs>
2: <laughs> in a huge surge
1: yeah that yeah, just all at once the door fell down and here came all of the waifus come on in ladies acts of blood of god of course can be found on itunes stitcher wherever podcasts are sold if you have feedback make sure to send me a line i'm on twitter at the underscore cap nadias at nadia oxford and you can reach me over email at cat.bailey at net. okay First things first, let's talk about the big news of the week, the shocking resignation of Hajime Tabata, director of Final Fantasy XV, as well as the cancellation of three episodes of DLC for Final Fantasy XV. It was a little bit of a bloodbath, Nadia, that
2: stream. Yeah, I wasn't part of the stream like I I read about the news on Twitter, but uh, Matt said that he was watching the stream and he he described it as a bloodbath, indeed.
1: I mean, well, when half of the news that you're putting out is one of your major figures is resigning and also half the stuff is being canceled, that would be like if they that Smash Brothers Nintendo Direct had been we're canceling a lot of... Th- we're canceling most of the content that's coming from Smash Brothers, and also Sakurai is leaving Nintendo. <laughs> Sakurai is finally going to live on a desert island. He's had it with you punks. Be excited. Be excited. Yes, please. Please look forward to it. Uh, I, don't think, uh, I, I don't think I'm looking forward to it. Nadia, what's your take on this? Um, I am...
2: It's one of those things where I read it, and I'm like, oh my god, really? But then I'm like, well, I'm really not surprised whatsoever. Um... I feel like they probably, from the the general consensus I can get from what I read, I feel like Tabata wanted to really move on, and Square Enix wasn't letting him. Like he was going to work on Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Fifteen DLC till he died, so he just checked out. That's just my take. I don't know in if that's t- actually what happened.
1: But he was in charge of the Luminous Group, and I guess they were charged with doing.
2: Yeah, uh, that's something I read. Like, yes, he was in charge of this Luminous group that was supposed to let him do his thing because he had a project he wanted to work on. But from what I read, Square Enix, while I didn't read specifically that they went back to Final Fantasy XV, rather it said something about how we're doing more, we're we're shifting focus of the Luminous group to like more AAA projects that fit more in our wheelhouse or or something of that nature. So it just sounds like they kind of pulled the rug out from under him. That's just my take. It could be completely wrong, though.
1: Yeah, it sounds like Square Enix... I mean, this is purely speculation. Yes. Based on what is being shown. We have not spoken to Tabata uh, or Square Enix about this. But reading between the lines... Exactly. Uh, Tabata had said that Luminous Group... Luminous Group was kind of Tabata's baby, and it was his chance to do what he wanted to do uh, as a reward for saving Final Fantasy Fifteen, and mm-hmm. say what you want about how it ultimately turned out. I know plenty of people don't like it. I ultimately liked it.
0: He I did it. save
1: that game. He did. And so this was supposed to be, I guess, his kind of reward. Sort of like Peter Jackson going to make King Kong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I forgot that movie even existed.
1: Yep. Peter Jackson made pro- one of the most profitable trilogies in history and did the impossible in adapting lord of the Rings, and they're like well what do you want to do well i want to i want to make a i want to make a gorilla cry <laughs> and he sure did hey he got to live his dream and I, I can't fault him but uh as for tabata i think that it is a real loss mm-hmm. for square enix because that company really needed kind of fresh voices Who could actually get things done? And somebody said, somebody said, Snidely on Twitter to me that he was more of a manager than a creative. And I'm like, yeah, you need managers sometimes. They have creative. They need. They have creative. They need managers really, really badly.
2: Uh, I mean, where is the Final Fantasy VII remake now? It is always up in the air somewhere.
1: It went from almost overnight with the development of Final Fantasy XV. It went from this extremely oblique, very hazy thing that was just kind of backburnered to, oh, we're actually getting live streams. And uh, mm. Tabata is introducing us to the the creators of Final Fantasy. And like he's pushing it. He had a really public facing uh, feel that you don't see maybe enough. From a lot of old line Japanese developers, and Definitely, it was yeah. refreshing, right? It, it was very, very Final Fantasy fourteen esque of him.
2: <laughs> it, it really was, and uh, that is, it is a very big loss. I'm actually quite disappointed because I was really hoping to see, first of all, what he was working on next, and I guess that's what he's doing now that he's striking on his own. But also, I really, I was really hoping he'd be in charge of Final
1: Fantasy sixteen. But I would have really liked Tabata to have had a chance to. I don't know. Do something new. Do something fresh. Do something interesting outside of the established brands.
2: Yeah, he really deserved it. It's uh, it's really a shame that he uh, took off. I mean, like I, like we said, we don't know the circumstances uh, quite thoroughly. But um, if that's actually what happened, well, that's really a, a sad way for him to leave.
1: Well, he's following his bliss. Mm-hmm. As for Final Fantasy Fifteen, uh, fair to say that the pl- its days of being a platform are kind of finished. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think the Golden Goose is going to sleep.
2: <laughs> it was a Golden Goose? I didn't realize that. Well, not so much a Golden Goose in that it was really producing amazing things. I mean, as much as we like the game, it's not perfect in, in many, many ways, but uh, it kept producing, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed some of the DLC episodes. They weren't amazing, but they existed. And I-, I liked the fishing spinoff. I genuinely liked it. I never got
2: around to the Ignis one. Neither. I don't think I got around to any of the the spinoffs, and uh, it's a bit of a shame because uh, I would have liked to eventually work my way up to the uh, Luna Freya episode. I actually kind of liked Luna Freya. <laughs> Poor Luna Freya got shafted. She again. got so bad. Her and the female dragoon. It's like, well, we're not going to find out anything else about her either. I liked her,
1: and and she shows up with prompto and helps him out. Yeah, she's really cool. Ariana, I think her name is. I think Some so. I mean. Outside of the main group the the secondary characters are pretty irrelevant, yeah,
2: basically, but um I do like uh Luna Freya's kind of bond with the the summoned monsters. I would have liked to see more of that
1: uh everybody is like really kind of hung up on Luna Freya, but she is such a minor character in that game that it's hard to have any feelings about her whatsoever,
2: yeah, I agree um that's, what I, that's kind of what I was hoping the d l. c would remedy, but who knows if it would have.
1: Yeah, that would have been great. Instead, we get Arden, who is a solid villain, I think. Um, and it's always kind of fun to have the villains be protagonists, see, I don't know, the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 DLC, uh-huh. which we never got around to talking about, did we?
2: No, um,
1: I haven't had time to really like plow through it either, which is,
2: you know, I really should because uh, I love Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And yes, that is a very interesting sort of uh, basis for the DLC.
1: Yeah, so, which, but, I mean, does anybody really need to see Arden's point of view? He's got weird hair. Let's find out
2: how he got that weird hair. Hey, why do you look like a, like a Ken doll? Your hair is all one big piece. How do you do that? Let's have a let's have an episode about this.
1: I think actually being able to see Luna Freya's story would have been a nice capper mm-hmm. to the DLC run because it would have filled in some of the blanks that fans actually wanted and would have made her an actual more of a substantial part of the story rather than you know sending her time traveling dog or whatever <laughs> now that's a that's a good dog i have to admit yeah i like the time traveling dog it was cute at one time i got a a negative itunes review on acts of the blood god because i spoiled that there was a time traveling dog <laughs> that is the most somehow like that is just blood god colliding with square enix right
2: there we spoiled the time traveling dog i'm sorry well, it sounds like the multiplayer's dead too. Yeah, um, what was it called? Companions or something like that. We comrades. we had fun, comrades. We played that. That yeah, we had fun for one stream with it. <laughs> it was John Cena, and you were a Chocobo. I can't remember how that went down. I seem to recall it going
1: down really badly. Yeah, uh,
2: I I think there was like problems, technical
1: problems. Yeah, just a little bit. But final thoughts on Final Fantasy XV because this is kind of it. Uh, yeah. um... I mean, all
2: all hats off to Tabata for saving that game because um, I think I read something recently saying that he went out and asked people, hey, what do you think about Final Fantasy before he went, really got to work on the game? And people were like, Final Fantasy? Who cares about that anymore? And he made people care. Um, going to Otakon two years in a row since uh, the game is out, um, there is still a heck of a lot of cosplay of the boys. They are still very popular. They are still much loved. And, uh, yeah, he basically uh, took this series from semi-obscurity
1: and and made it an icon again. So good for him. Yeah, he did make me like the boys, which I never thought would happen. Yeah, the boys Uh, are great. Yeah, I have fond memories of all four of them. (laughs) I always liked the story that during the... I think it was the beta, Prompto wasn't especially Mm well-received. So... They're like, oh, crap, we need to give him something, uh, that, aside from hair. (laughs) And and freckles. And freckles, and being kind of like a younger, more annoying cloud. uh, He's going to be the photographer. There we go. Yeah, and they use that to great effect in the game. Yeah, I think uh, my favorite thing in Final Fantasy XV is that, at the end, you can pick the one picture. Mm -hmm. Because you're taking pictures. Like, it actually... Is that the only game that actually incorporated the photo mode into the story? I think so. And I thinking back, I think that was really
2: before games started incorporating photo modes into everything.
1: I mean, initially you had to go to the photo points to be able to get the the photographs and it was kind of your your road trip type thing. Right. But I think later on they added the photo mode as a kind of a a more free range thing, but I, I always liked and this, spoilers, I'm sorry if you haven't played Final Fantasy. 15 traveling yet. Dog you get moment. to pick you get to pick a photo one of the photos you took, um, as kind of a remembrance of your entire trip.
2: So one more final thought on Final Fantasy Fifteen is I, I decided I really liked it when I gosh, as soon as the you start the training moment and Carbuncle is sending you messages on your like text messages on your phone. I just think that oh, is the, the, most re- the weird demo the weird demo, and I was I was just off surgery, and I had just come home from the hospital, and I was high as a kite. And this was, like, <laughs> the most amazing experience of my life because I'm like, oh, my God, he's sending me texts through my phone. I'm going to cry. It's so cute. So, yes, shout-out to Final Fantasy 15 for the Carbuncle moment.
1: Okay, Nadia, before we continue on to our mini Fire Emblem retrospective, uh, you did an investigation into Geno. Yes. Um who is a much requested character in Super Smash Brothers. Geno was in Super Mario RPG. And as I admitted to you off air, I beat Super Mario RPG many, many years ago, and I don't remember Geno at all.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did admit that to me. And you also said he's kind of freaky looking.
1: He is freaky. He's like... He looks like Pinocchio, like a maybe a or maybe a character from the Island of Lost Toys and the Rudolph the Re- the Red nosed Reindeer. <laughs> he special. does, doesn't he? He looks like he'd yeah, be the boss of he. Yeah, that's where he looks like. That's why I was getting that weird Christmas-y vibe from him.
2: Okay, that okay. Yes, that does make sense. He does look kind of like he belongs in a, a what is called Rankin uh animated special about Christmas. No, I will give you that. I saw people
1: comparing him to Boba Fett, and I'm like,
2: what, is he a bounty hunter? That's actually kind of cool. That would, that would be cool, actually. Yeah, that would be very cool. But no, he's not. He's he's a he's an angel from the Star Road, and he inhabits the body of uh, a toy that some kid's playing with.
1: Oh, so that's why he looks like he's from the Island of Lost Toys. He's literally a toy. <laughs> yes, yes. He um, he is, as I recall correctly,
2: this, the sword that splits the heavens, uh Exor, I think his name is, he damages the star road on his way down. And if the star road is damaged, then you can't... Wishes can't be granted. So Gino comes down to Earth or wherever Mario lives, and uh he inhabits the body of this doll because he's technically a spirit. He doesn't have a corporal form. And, uh yeah, and that's the body he possesses for the game. And uh, here's the one moment with Gino that really kind of irritates me is how... He literally tells Mario, uh, you know, this kid had dolls of Mario, Peach, Bowser, and Gino." And M- Gino's like, Geno was the strongest looking doll, so I took him. And I'm like, oh my god, that is such a Square Enix thing to say, isn't it? It's like Kingdom Hearts before there was Kingdom Hearts. We don't need your characters. We got our characters. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Square Enix tried to shoehorn in their own characters and... A lot of people still love Super Mario RPG, but I'm not going to say that Mallow and Gino were the strongest parts of those, of that game.
2: I have, yeah, I, I
1: enjoyed Gino. You know, I
2: think he I think he was neat, but it, that part of that is nostalgia, I will admit fully. Uh, I played a Mario RPG over and over again. Back in the day, I used to play a lot of my old games over and over again because it's all I really had for games. And uh, yeah, Gino is, um, I think Gino is fondly remembered because number one, he's kind of a a cool detached character and for a lot of people super mario rpg was their entry rpg and gino was maybe their first exposure to that that trope that cool detached trope whereas you and i had by that point played of course like final fantasy 4 you know 6 chrono trigger and this wasn't exactly
1: new hat to us everybody always so it always feels like When it comes to Smash Brothers reveals, Mm -hmm. people are always going, ah, but I want this character. Right now, it's Gino and Waluigi. (laughs) Waluigi. It has been Gino, though.
2: And this is something I noted in a piece I wrote that's up on US Gamer right now. You can go pursue it if you like. Uh, Gino has been the number one request, as I recall, since Snake was first introduced in, in that Smash Brothers Brawl trailer. And that's when... Nintendo kind of like said, hey, doors open to third-party characters now. And of course, uh, Gino belongs to Square Enix. He's not a Nintendo character technically. So people really wanted him because even though he's not a Nintendo character technically, he is very close to the Nintendo
1: cast. I mean, he's just a grumpy-looking puppet, even if he uh, can shoot friggin' missiles from his hands. He, he's, he's, he's certainly a not knowledge. a character I would ever pick.
2: I would probably pick him. I think he'd be interesting to play as. I mean, we already have the Me fighter puppet uh, sorry, me fighter Gino skin or whatever the hell that was. May as well have Gino.
1: I also never used the me fighters. And I don't think
2: anyone used them. To be honest with you.
1: <laughs> I I've come around to some characters. Like I actually came around to an, uh, to uh, to Villager from Animal Crossing. I'm told that Villager, in the right hands, can be
0: absolutely devastating, and I believe it. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Oh, yeah. It's kind of an advanced character, but... So, I, I think it's so interesting, though, that Geno was so highly requested. I'm just... I'm trying to figure out, like, what is the appeal of this character? Is it just... Is it from... Is it because Super Mario RPG... Still retains a certain fandom. Is it a completionism thing? Is it the fact that it harkens back to a particular time period when Square SquareSoft and Nintendo were best buddies? Um,
2: I think it's all. Uh, it's a little bit of all of that, but I think nostalgia is the is the main contributing factor. I feel like Mario RPG. As much as I still like it, it has been surpassed by Thousand Year Door, uh, which. Has, it's a very
1: different game, isn't it?
2: It does, but it's still it's still a very RPG ish Mario RPG, for lack of a better term.
1: I don't even know how to describe it. But I, I mean, th- from a writing perspective, yeah. I mean, Thousand Year Door was phenomenal and in- incredible writing.
2: Yeah, I'd uh, much actually better than Mario
1: RPG. It.
2: Oh yeah. Um, but uh, one thing I said in my piece that I wrote is, I think a lot of people remember the ending from Mario RPG, and it's actually a little bit of a sad ending, and I where Gino goes back to the sky, wherever the hell he came from, and the way it's choreographed is actually very, very good. Uh, the Mario RPG ending is still one of my favorite endings. It has, like, one of the best soundtracks on the SNES, and that's, as we know, is a, a system that is not lacking for great ending scores for JRPGs, but Mario RPGs is really up there. And I think a lot of people associate that sort of sad melancholy with Gino. And they just kind of want to see him back because he never came back.
1: Man, I never, I, I really don't remember Mario RPG that well. Yeah, apparently not. Apparently Gino was a very important part of that game. He was like the main crux
2: of the story. He was, a, or at least like a major spoke of the story.
1: When I look at Gino and Waluigi, like in the desperation for these two characters, <laughs> all I can think is that fans are, forgive me, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point, we've gotten pretty much everything we could possibly want. We even got Bayonetta. We have. And Cloud. And, I mean, Pac-Man and Mega Man and all of these wonderful guest characters. But no, we need Gino, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I said, people have been asking for Gino long before
2: any of these others showed up so i can kind of understand their viewpoint but i also mm. understand your viewpoint i feel like uh, it doesn't get better than that cloud reveal that was just the 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 climax of hype for me that and of course mega man that gave me a little hope that capcom hadn't forgotten about mega man although for a long time afterwards they still didn't do anything with him
1: well i remember yeah when uh, smash brothers brawl uh, like snake got revealed and that was a wonderful surprise that was fun. And then that Sonic got revealed, and that was an even better surprise. But people were mad because Mega Man didn't get revealed too.
2: Yeah, but then he did.
1: Which just goes to show that reveal. people always want more.
2: No, oh, people always want more. The ravenous, blood-sucking monster is always wanting more, 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 and they want Geno.
1: Smash Brothers Ultimate, though, is gonna—it's like my most anticipated game for the rest of the year.
2: It's gonna be a lot of fun, and um, it is you're gonna have a lot of fun with it especially because you live in a house with like four other people
1: Oh, three other people yeah but and three only three of us play actually play smash but that's enough yeah, as long as you got funny. three you're good yep
2: yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> i just hope the online's good i why because <laughs> i don't know i guess i could play with my husband but um but then again if i play online i'm gonna get smushed in, an, in a minute and i'll be like i'm not doing that ever again so yeah never mind
1: nintendo online has never been good and if capcom is still struggling to some extent to absolutely get the online and one of their fighting games perfect i simply cannot see any scenario where smash brothers has good online
2: yeah although well we made it work back in the wii day and want to talk about bad infrastructure back then it was horrible on the wii it was awful it was unplayable like it was actually unplayable it was yeah although it was fun to download other people's stages
1: well, uh, Gino, uh, apparently TIL is a big part of people's desire in Smash Brothers <laughs> Ultimate. And has been since Smash Brothers Brawl. Yep. Uh, but I- I'm curious to know, like, do you- does Gino retain a fond place in your heart? Let me know in the comments or send me an email, catdotbaletusker.net, or tweet at me at the underscore catbot. So uh, let's remember uh, some Fire Emblem, shall we? Nadia, it feels appropriate that we've been talking about Smash Brothers on an RPG podcast of all things for a little bit now because our next uh, topic has some deep roots in Super Smash Brothers, specifically Super Smash Brothers Melee. Mm -hmm. And I have to ask you, where were you the first time you saw Marth and Roy? Uh, Probably with everyone else
2: saying, who the hell are these assholes?
1: I remember playing Melee for the first time when the GameCube launched, and hearing the name Fire Emblem and seeing these two characters and thinking to myself how weird it looked for them to like two fairly traditional-looking anime yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. fantasy sword wielders being there with Mario. <laughs> yeah, that that was a little bit weird, and I'm I remember thinking to myself
2: like. Wow, what else is Nintendo hiding because back then even with the internet it was there was still huge gaps in the company's history that we we didn't understand, we didn't get for for a while.
1: The presence of Marth and Roy like they immediately became popular because I mean, they're animated so- sword boys who I mean, and Roy uh, Roy had like a fire sword. Yeah, he sure did. And the 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 people would be chanting Roy's our boy, <laughs> Roy's Roy's Roy Roy. 'Cause our boy"
2: because he was he was also perfect for the sandbag competition. Poor sandbag coon just got
1: demolished when Roy was around. On GameFAQs, apparently one of the biggest flame wars of the early 2000s was Roy versus Marth.
2: Really, I could see. Yeah, I could see uh, GameFAQs evolving into a flame war like that.
1: To this day like marth ended up winning cuz marth mm. ended up being in every other subsequent smash brothers true where roy like was relegated to dlc yes in smash brothers for the wii u yes but yeah. but i mean they really kind of set things off and this was kind of the moment when nintendo was like oh, okay well i guess maybe this is a good time to bring fire emblem to america and nadia I don't know if you remember, but times are kind of changing a little bit on, on Handheld. Because, I mean, we had gotten Advance Wars in 2001. Mm-hmm. And we were starting, and we got, uh, let see, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance right. in 2003. And RPGs were very, like, settled into America after five years or so on consoles. And the time was kind of ripe for Fire Emblem to come in. What are your memories of this period? Uh, I remember
2: enjoying Advance Wars and then uh, kind of going over onto Fire Emblem for the Game Boy Advance. And enjoying that a little bit more because I always felt... Uh, it's hard to explain, but I always felt like Advance Wars, even though it was a different kind of strategy game, I always felt a little guilty throwing all these like innumerable faceless soldiers into the fray to play like this this war game with these other people. I'm like, are we not sacrificing men and women who have families and stuff to like, you know, say, that was fun, let's have another war again. So when we when we had like Fire Emblem, I was like, okay, here's here's a game where, you know, okay, it's it's silly anime stuff, yes, but it also kind of gets a little more serious about war and I always had a fondness, of course, for, you know, fantasy and dragons and stuff like that, so I just I just latched onto it.
1: Fire Emblem Blazing Sword, seventh game released in the series. Um it was actually a prequel. Yes. And I always thought it was kind of funny because uh Binding Blade, which was the game that Roy actually starred in, never made it over to America. It was actually yeah. Blazing Sword that made it over. <laughs> Yeah, and I always wondered about that
2: choice, because it's not like um, Binding Blade looked bad or anything. It looked exactly the same as Blazing Sword, graphics-wise. I don't understand why they just didn't give us the game with Roy in it. Of course, Roy was in our Fire Emblem, but he was like, as you say, it was a prequel, so you'd see him as a kid for like two seconds.
1: There's a few reasons. One was Blazing Sword had a fairly lengthy tutorial, which was good for first-time players, it was also uh-huh. easier than Binding Blade. Um, oh, I didn't know. That. And it still had a Roy like character in his father, Ellie Wood.
2: Yeah, Ellie Wood does look quite a bit like Roy. I remember being
1: surprised, like, hey, that's not Roy. You're some other red haired dude. But, I, you know, but of course it triggered everybody to be like, where's Roy? <laughs> where's <laughs> Mars? Yeah.
2: Not really. Realizing- we should be
1: asking, where's Roy? Not realizing that Fire Emblem uh, Blazing Sword was the seventh game in the series and that Marth's, like, history went all the way back to, um, what was it, the original Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light on the NES?
2: Yeah, we're talking about, like, way back on the Famicom, and that's probably why Marth appeared, you know, if not as a character, then as, like, kind of a... Uh, like for example, Lucina used him as a uh, as a kind of a disguise in uh, in Awakening. So he's always been around, whereas Roy has been like there, kind of sometimes, once in a while.
1: Well, they remade Shadow Dragon for the DS, and it was not well received because it was ugly. Yeah, it was not a pretty
2: game. And one thing we can definitely say about uh, our Fire Emblem on the Game Boy Advance is uh, those sprites are still amazing to look at. I still love watching the the battles play out between the even though they're they're simple looking sprites the way they're animated has so much character
1: yeah i miss it a lot actually because i don't so i play as i have mentioned occasionally on this podcast i play a lot of fire emblem heroes Mm -hmm. and fire emblem heroes is actually a fairly good looking game in a mobile kind of way like yeah i would say graphically it is definitely a step up I find the character designs, for the most part, pretty appealing, even if they've gone full anime, uh, lollycon. But... (laughs) Unfortunately. But there was a flourish to the sprites on the GBA. Yes, Where you would see, like, the cape sweep aside or... uh, When they were doing their critical attacks, they just looked really good.
2: Oh, they're amazing when they do their critical attacks, like, especially... um, I think it's the the knight or the cavalier who just kind of swings his spear and just bashes into the enemy and it's like even though we're talking about like maybe 10 frames they're so they're executed so brilliantly.
1: Yeah, Fire Emblem is one of the few games where I could just sit through all of the different characters being introduced and watching them do their little attacks. Yeah, me too. I actually I wrote a a lengthy retrospective for Blazing Sword over on the site. And I, I included that just because I, I felt like it highlighted the sprite work really well. Mm-hmm. And and plus, it was the first time we ever got to f- hear the famous Fire Emblem anthem. Oh, that's right. Yes. Through that tinny is-
2: Game Boy Advance speaker, which wasn't bad, though. It, it did its best.
1: Yeah, I had a GBA SP. People forget that the SP did not actually have a headphone jack. That was pretty terrible, yes. I had headphones that could plug into that horrible jack. I mean, but then Apple just copied it years later, the same thing. (laughs) Apple and Nintendo copying the worst of each other since forever. Yeah, Nintendo was a trendsetter. Now
2: everybody has that horrible thing. (laughs) Thanks, Nintendo. I really appreciate that. I had this terrible little tail dangling off my iPhone at all hours.
1: So I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but I discovered Fire Emblem... Before Fire Emblem, I was pretty allergic to anything having to do with tactics, turn-based tactics, or, like, uh, like grids, because it was kind of intimidating to me. Oh, really? Uh, being a, you know, a console gamer, for the most part, and, mm-hmm. like, liking action games, it took me a while to get properly into RPGs. Uh, and then I played Advanced Wars for the first time, because I didn't have anything better to do. And right. I ended up really enjoying it, and getting into it and it was a, a like a very accessible way to get into war games. And so after that I picked up Fire Emblem, which I was like, oh, this is just advanced Wars, but with RPG characters. Cool. I can I can get into this. And then I fell completely in love with it. And yeah, uh-huh. I mean, it it really did the trick on me. Um it's interesting. So like the first ten missions in the original Fire Emblem, um, mm-hmm. you meet Lynn, who right. is She's a a late like a a noble who's been exiled to the plains. Her parents have been murdered by bandits. She's living alone in a hut. And (laughs) interesting narrative device. You are you are taking on the role of a tactician that is actually never shown on screen, kind of like Robin from the later games. And she addresses you. Like she's talking to you and she looks at you. It's kind of a cynical like way to approach it because I see a lot of Gasha games do this to make you yes. feel like, oh, <laughs> they're your best buddies. So you want to buy more characters, right? But it, it really did the trick on me at the time.
2: Yes. Yes. I remember that now. She looks at you and, is talk- and talks to you directly.
1: And then over the course of the next 10 missions, a kind of mini arc plays out where you're playing mm-hmm. as Lynn. And you're meeting some characters, like just a few characters, and you are basically trying to, to defeat a petty enemy and reclaim her noble seat. Um, everybody's a noble. All of the heroes are always nobles in Fire Emblem, yes. except Ike. Except Ike. Ike is a mercenary. <laughs> he fights for his friends. Yes. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> Everyone's fighting for their friends. Well, well you he know, emphasizes. Maybe I don't want to fight for my friends. <laughs> maybe I want to just fight for myself sometimes. Okay? <laughs> is that so hard? There are plenty of Fire Emblem characters who want to do that, I'm sure. At the time, Nadia, I actually really liked the tutorial. But I was also playing Fire Emblem for the first time. And I imagine that if I played through it now and it were mandatory, I would find it a little slow. What do you think of it?
2: Um, I Well, for me, it was certainly necessary. Because even though I had played uh, Advance Wars, uh, Fire Emblem... <laughs> Fire Emblem systems are quite different, so we kind of needed that tutorial. And I'm actually surprised that the game that preceded it didn't have a tutorial. Why did Why did our Fire Emblem have it?
1: Fire Emblem isn't exactly hard to get into. I mean, compared to Final Fantasy Tactics, it's downright simple, which is kind of its beauty, right? I mean, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's fairly hard, and you have to really think about. The way that the ways that you have the characters interact with one another and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and which swords that you use. But it's certainly not as complex as you don't have to, for example, equip skills on them. Right? That's true. So, uh, in that respect, like Fire Emblem is one of those games that once you understand the weapons triangle, you can kind of pick right up.
2: Yeah. And of course, remembering the weapons triangle isn't nearly as hard as remembering like 15 damn Pokemon types and all their weaknesses.
1: I know. Uh, we were looking through old Pokemon guides this morning, and we were looking at our old Pokemon X and Y guides, and it had the the big table. Oh, yes. God bless. And I was like, oh my god, is it really that complex? I guess it is, isn't it? It
2: kind of is. Like, I always forget what's what, except for there was a comic uh, by Awkward Zombie that has the uh, kind of these funny mnemonics that people use to remember, you know, lesser known Pokemon weakness types, and it's like... Okay, why is uh why is flying uh, sorry, why is fighting strong against uh or weak against uh flying? Well, because you can't punch a bird, can you? Nope, you it's can't. True.
1: But you can punch through a rock. <laughs> You'll probably hurt your fist, but you can do
2: it. But uh speaking of tutorial, one thing I was wondering is uh Sega Genesis owners, uh many of them played Shining Force, which was as I understand, a tactical Grid-based RPG, and I wonder how they felt coming off Shining Force and into Fire Emblem, if they were annoyed by the tutorials or anything of that sort.
1: I have no idea. I know that there are people Sorry. who will argue that Shining Force is better than Fire Emblem. I'm uh, sure there specifically are. Specifically, Shining Force, I want to oh. say three. That that's one that comes up a lot. the uh, The graphics
2: were. I was always impressed with the graphics when I was younger, and I was like, you know, a total Nintendo kid. But I was a little bit jealous of Shining Force
1: but yeah no you're right uh shining force was kind of a front runner uh, a forerunner of uh, fire emblem blazing sword in that regard uh it certainly beat it to the punch but yes. i mean fire emblem blazing sword came out at a time in which i think uh mainstream quote-unquote mainstream gamers or at least nintendo fans were a little more primed to play this kind of game than they were at that time
2: yes and uh as uh, we dis- as we have talked about, and as publishers discovered at the time, the handheld systems, uh, particularly the Game Boy Advance, was just perfect for that sort of format. It's uh, kind of slower. Uh, you could save at any time. Uh, yeah, I spent many. You could happy
1: save hours. at any time. Yes, but if you died.
0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: It would auto-save, and you would lose your character.
2: That's right. Oh, no saves coming for you.
1: No saves coming for you. I had to reset some of those levels so many damn times, and there were more than a few occasions where I lost a character, unlike the final turn, because I screwed up. Because the way this game would work is, unlike Final Fantasy Tactics... Which was just you know fairly small arenas actually mm-hmm. and fairly simple arenas like you had to use the, the the terrain but most of the emphasis was on actually customizing your characters and coming up with builds that uh, that was just the gameplay style right right whereas Fire Emblem was way more tactical it was almost like a dungeon crawler built into a tactics game where you would be going through an actual dungeon opening up treasure chests and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding keys to unlock doors, and then yes. ultimately fighting a boss at the end who's sitting on a throne, which is, according them, lots of evasion. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, and you'd have to capture the throne. And, um, yeah, it was very interesting the way strategy worked. And I remember being impressed with that back in the day because, um, uh, for example, if you, were, if you were fighting in close quarters, you could break open certain walls, walls. Uh, but you know your Pegasus knights would be useless. Of course, Pegasus knights are useless all the time. But they'd be especially useless indoors. There was yeah, there was some really interesting strategy you could uh, have going on there.
1: Well, the, the the thing with uh, Pegasus knights and armor knights actually, so once you promoted them, they were very good. Falcon knights were basically immune to magic, and oh, could really? kill like squishier enemies like really fast. I just remember always losing
2: Pegasus Knights because they'd get, like, you know, within, like, you know, 50 miles of an archer and they'd be dead. And I just got pissed off. And I said, forget this. You can sit on the fucking bench because I'm not dealing with this anymore. At least Wyvern uh, riders were a little more hardy. A little more.
1: Plus, they looked cooler. Yeah,
2: I have Wyvern Knights are, are pretty awesome, I have to say. And I love how uh, there's a character in Awakening who named her Wyvern Minerva, which is the name of the first Wyvern wy- rider in the first game. And she's always in talking Fire about the other
1: In Fire Emblem Heroes, actually, my main party is a Flighter team. Oh, really? Yes, it's uh Nino, who mm-hmm, I remember Nino Um Nino is actually in Blazing Sword. She is um She is she's one of the most popular characters. Um there's a little bit of a lollycon aspect to it, which is kinda like yeah. mm, or maybe a Moe I aspect,
2: I suppose. Is, is her, I know who I know what you mean I think she's more of a kind of like not a, molly a, Con, uh, more
1: moe there, yeah there
2: go. and I remember being a little disturbed because uh, Jafar pledges his eternal love to her and it's was like uh, isn't she like 14 or 13 or something
1: <laughs> whatever she's, dude she looks like she's like five yeah she, looks she really sure young she looks like she's eight or something I gotta say, though, I always loved
2: the male designs for those games, especially the earlier games. There was someone... Oh, Lord Pent. I have—I still have a huge crush on Lord Pent. Holy crap.
1: I suppose... Uh, well, I mean, it was a different era for anime, perhaps. But I think that Jafar is supposed to be about the same age as Nino. It's just that Nino looks young because they're going for that Moe little sister kind of thing. Yep.
2: <laughs> sure, let's call it... But I have no she idea, to be
1: honest. she tries as best she can. But she, Nino is a very tragic character because her mom is her I, I don't know if it's her mom or her her adopted mom is like one of the chief villains in the game. Oh right. Oh my god, yes. She basically mistreats Nino and doesn't teach she's supposed to teach Nino how to become a powerful mage but doesn't teach Nino anything. And know, yeah. basically has to... She's like the abused orphan. She's the Harry Potter of Fire Emblem.
2: Aww.
1: Except And when you recruit her, she comes really late in the game. She's like right. level five.
2: Oh, right. She doesn't know anything. But I never built her up, but I'm assuming that if you build her up, she becomes like a powerhouse.
1: Yes. Um, TV Troops called it Magikarp po- magic Power.
2: That's exactly what it is. It's like uh, uh, that little kid with a pot on his head from Awakening. Donnie, or whatever his name was, like, he, if you nurture him, because he's like just some kid from a backwoods village, if you, like, train him up, he becomes, like, a monster.
1: Yeah, that was one of the characters in Sacred Stones. Like, you could get a trainee, and if you turn them into an armor knight by the end, like, basically they were invincible and could not be killed.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was totally magic art power.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, I never used Nino. I, I don't think I usually used characters like I had a thing for archers. archers I really enjoyed the archers, uh, especially once you promoted them to snipers. Um, yes. There was one character who would ride around on a horse. Uh, I, I liked the, char- the the character class that would promote and ride around on a horse and have a bow
2: oh um yes i know what you're talking about is it troubadour no troubadours are healers troubadours uh, are the
1: healers which i always uh, they would promote to valkyries that's right um and i always had one of those because you could give her a tome that would let her heal the entire uh, heal the entire map yeah she's a little op very useful i should think yes (laughs) in fire emblem heroes um Lynn has an alt where she rides around on horseback with the bow, and she is one of my primary characters because she's kind of OP. Yeah,
2: you're right, though. The mounted archers are extremely useful in that game.
1: And extremely cool, actually.
2: Yeah, cool. It is
1: pretty awesome. I, I, we were talking about the sprites earlier, and I always liked uh-huh. how they would do this little trot thing and yes. then shoot.
2: Yeah, yeah. like the horse, Like the They do the move, and then the horse kind of goes back into position and does this little, like, kind of this prance almost
1: uh, blazing sword also introduced us to the uh, a few of the tropes of fire emblem uh there's a character named marcus who begins the game promoted um mm-hmm. and that is he's supposed to be a crutch character
0: right and
1: uh a supposedly a, a lot when i played fire emblem back in the day I remembered a lot of sites being like, don't use Marcus because his stats growth is really bad, so he's going to end up being left behind by everybody. But uh-huh. now I read that apparently he's really strong still, even at toward the end of the game.
2: Yeah, but you're right. That's a, Is that where that trope started? Because yes, you're right. Every Almost every Fire Emblem game since has always had that crutch character who is kind of starts off the game promoted and helps you through those, those tough areas, like my favorite being um, Frederick from Awakening, the bisexual butler knight god he's amazing
1: so you would spend a lot of time just kind of using them to soften up tougher enemies and then you would finish them off with characters that you actually wanted to promote and then eventually and then eventually you would just kind of leave them on the bench (laughs) (laughs) but they'd be like my children have grown up i am so proud there's a lot of talk about character tiering in the original fire emblem um and people have said that lindis and Elliewood are actually weak but i mean mm-hmm. my recollection was always that they could just tear through um enemies without any problem it it feels like fire the especially on kind of the lower difficulty levels it doesn't really matter who you use because they're all good
2: yeah they're all very good and also uh, i always was a little bit paranoid to use lords even though yes they are quite powerful because if they die it's game over
1: Yeah, but the game was over for me anyway because I didn't want anybody to die.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's fair.
1: There were points where I did get so sick of having to reset that I just let them stay dead.
2: (laughs) Just let them stay in the cold, cold ground.
1: Because there's a certain point where I just want to get through that level. Of course. There's a fairly late level. um, I forget what it's called, but it's quite popular. It's like level 27. And Mm -hmm. there's a river with a little bridge, like maybe two little bridges, Mm -hmm. and tons of enemies, and it's a huge field. Oh. And a lot of people really like that level a lot, but it's also quite hard because there are tons of promoted enemies to be fighting. They're coming in from all sides. You have to distribute your armies really well. I remember I had a couple of characters sitting on those bridges, basically just hacking and slashing through them right and that that's where fire emblem is at its most enjoyable when you have tons of promoted characters and they're at the peak of their powers and you really feel like it's it almost takes on a dynasty warriors characteristic but good yeah <laughs> but interesting uh, fire emblem of course also had the the support system with the waifus i i mean i used it i didn't appreciate how important it was until later games in the series
2: yeah, um, I think the only, the only support conversation I really remember from the first game uh, was again this was with Lord Pent who I really like and he has a wife L- Lady Louise and they're standing at the last level of the freaking game big ass dragon bearing down on them and Lady Louise tells Lord Pent that she's pregnant and I'm like damn <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> Could honey could you and have told like, me
1: a little later. <laughs> It's like, well, guess I better win this one, huh? Oh, cool. Thanks for that. So now I'm also fighting for my unborn child. It's a little extra motivation. A little extra motivation. Okay. A little extra fear. A little extra stress. Jeez. Oh, it's nice to know that if you die, I will also lose my child. Great. (laughs) Great. Hooray. Confetti. Hooray. Uh, Speaking of that dragon, which you fight a giant dragon at the end of the game. Like you just see a head because it's so big i remember thinking that was so cool back in uh back on the gba like i was floored by how good the graphics were in like 2003 or whatever
2: yeah it was it would kind of just fly in and like roar at you and i'm like wow that's that's pretty awesome
1: well it felt big uh, which is a a pretty amazing accomplishment on the gba you're right. Yeah,
2: you're absolutely right. Um, if It felt like a big actual threat. Like, it, okay, this dragon's going
1: to end the world. Yes, it is very capable of ending the world. It's like, hi, I'm here to end the world. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? As I le- later learned, enemies like this are basically a staple in every Fire Emblem. You're always going to find a, fight a huge dragon. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the Fire Emblem loves its huge dragons, which I'm cool with. I'm cool with that. Yeah, no, I'm pretty down with it, too. Uh, if you haven't... If you haven't trained your characters properly, they're going to die. Like, that dragon yeah. will F them up. That dragon will take a bite out of them. I also remember in the final level, you basic, it's basically a boss rush a la, Fire, a la Mega mm-hmm. Man. Because you're fighting through all of the previous bosses, but they've been reanimated as morphs. Because they have these kind of, um, I don't know, artificial human type enemies who work for the main villain. And so all of the right. the old villains end up coming back, but they don't say anything. You just have to fight them again.
2: Yeah, they're just they're just shells, which that's kind of a trope by this point, I guess, for a lot of games.
1: It's around this time that you also get a kind of Gandalf-like figure who has some seriously badass magic. And you kind of need him unless you have a really powerful party.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to remember who that was.
1: Uh, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Had I don't actually magic. think the story in Fire Emblem matters all that much. It, it was enjoyable, but I don't think any Fire Emblem has a great story. I liked
2: Awakening story quite a bit. But yeah, it's more about the... In- yeah, I liked it. it but it, you're right. It's more about the individual character interactions between, you know, mm. especially in Awakening.
1: Yeah, it's about the party building. But otherwise, it's kind of like anime fantasy trope 101. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, save the world sort of thing.
1: Yep oh, no, Uh, you think everything is safe, but, oh, no, here comes more bad guys. Or, oh, somebody (laughs) turned turned against me. Yeah, pretty much. I I think I've mentioned that I did like the the end because there's a character who's like this sickly little kid who you don't realize is actually the villain from Binding Blade. (laughs) Oh, right. Um. So uh, that that was a good reveal. Yeah. I got to say like that. That's, that, that's of one fun. of the few things along with, um, I remember Nino and I remember Jafar. Yes. And I remember the four fangs and I remember Lin's like ascent to power, but mostly I just kind of l- remember liking the different characters. The thing is like char- fire emblem characters are never that deep. It's mostly just a matter of like, do you like their designs? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. No, those are the ones that I always, like, kind of flock to. Everyone has their favorites. Like, Lynn and Hector are very popular. Very popular characters. Well-designed characters. Not as... I think the main thing that stands apart, sets them apart, is Mm -hmm. they have a nice, fun repertoire between each other. But uh, but beyond that, like, it's not like Lynn gets her her throne back, but beyond that, like, you wouldn't exactly say she has a deep arc or anything.
2: No, no. But uh, as you say, everyone has their favorites. Uh, my husband's favorite is Erika, and I'm always like, "Oh, you know, she's like banging her brother, right?" And he always gets mad at me when I say that. I'm <laughs> oh, like, so it's true. from Sacred Stones. Yeah, yeah. Well, she and has that wonderful eighty, late '80s anime look to her. Yes, she does, doesn't she? It is very unique. I like, I do like her design quite a bit.
1: Yeah, like a lot of the original Fire Emblem characters look like they came from like Record of Lodos Wars or something like that. Oh, it's perfect. Such a snapshot in time. Ah, uh, Yeah, I miss it. And that's why I like Fire Emblem. I, that's why I like Fire Emblem Blazing Swords characters, because it it was still fairly modern, but also a throwback in some ways, like some of these characters mm-hmm. to the 90s. Yes. And it hadn't gone full waifu yet. <laughs>
2: not quite yet
1: in Uh, time eventually it would Mm. eventually we would get characters like Camilla who is just boobs (laughs) (laughs) like that's literally (laughs) like she's there to have large breasts if you're into that kind of thing and fly a wyvern and she just got another alt in Fire Emblem Heroes she has like five of them now so now she has bigger boobs because they know that people are going to spend. So, Fire Emblem Blazing Sword. Looking back, Nadia, what do you think its legacy is?
2: Uh, I think it's the game that really got us all into Fire Emblem, and obviously it stuck, because God knows we have Fire Emblem games out the wazoo now, and I'm, I'm happy with that quite a bit, and I'm actually very much looking forward to what's next on the Switch for Fire Emblem. So, I am... I am happy they took a chance in Fire Emblem and gave it to us.
1: I was going back to our old episodes. I think it was right around the time that maybe Conquest came out. Mm-hmm. That we did the Rise and Fall and Rise of Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, we talked a little more broadly about how Fire Emblem had like kind of burst onto the scene in America, then became a very hardcore niche series, then was on the verge of yes. dying. And then Awakening revived it. Uh, through the power of waifus, which <laughs> um, it was kind of a mixed blessing because once intelligence systems realized that that's what sold, not hardcore uh, tactics, like they went all in on it. Now, to oh, their credit, did. they haven't completely sold out because uh, Fire Emblem Conquest, for my money, is one of the best Fire Emblems ever, mm-hmm. uh, especially certainly from a gameplay perspective i I think the story of fire emblem conquest is pretty dumb actually (laughs) (laughs) but i think that from a sheer level design perspective it is tremendous uh all the way through uh but also we have games like birthright and fire emblem heroes which are like nope nope here here are all the characters that you're just gonna make them kiss it's, uh, who cares about <laughs> the characters Just make the characters kiss. It's it's okay. Yep. Make <laughs> babies so they can be strong. When I look at Fire Emblem Blazing Sword's Legacy, I see a game that really struck a good balance between being hardcore and being fairly accessible. Mm-hmm. Because it, yeah, I had a protracted tutorial and uh, the initial difficulty levels were fairly easy. But it picks up toward the end in difficulty terms. And if you really want a challenge, like, the challenge is there. Because yeah. you can play uh, through the Hector. So you can play through hard mode after that. And then you can play through Hector hard mode. And you're rewarded by seeing the story through the perspectives of Eliwood and Hector. Which, if you invest in those characters, and, I mean, I liked them. I thought they were cool. Yeah, I liked uh, them too. Yeah, it was cool to be able to play through again and see additional story scenes where you get to see what they were doing while another character was off somewhere else. And right. especially the Hector hard mode could be very difficult. Did you ever get a chance to play the Hector hard mode? No, but I love the name. Hector hard mode. <laughs> I I liked Hector, and I was always sad, like, to bring things full circle. I was always sad that he never made it to Smash Brothers.
2: Right. No, I would have liked to see him in Smash Brothers. Uh just with the He's a he's an axe wielder if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. He, I always thought that Hector would have been a good choice just because he would have been a fun like kind of heavy character. Yes. Uh kind of in the yes, vein definitely. of like uh kind of in the vein of, you know, say Bowser or something, but instead right. because by the time Brawl came out, they were pushing the uh, path of radiance series which is a whole different can of tomatoes um they they were pushing uh they were pushing ike and oh, in yes. fact i would say smash brothers pretty much popularized ike it's like it's why ike is one of the most popular characters
2: yeah easily and no i would have preferred a uh, a heavy like um like hector
1: yeah i mean it would have differentiated him from say another sword boy as it were like ike <laughs> yeah. is still kind of a heavy But he also has a giant sword, which, okay. And it wasn't until Smash Brothers Wii U that we finally got Robin. Um, Yeah, I like Robin. Um, Honestly, even though Lucina's uh, basically
2: another sword person, I like Lucina a lot. Uh, Lucina's just a Marth clone. In in terms
1: of fighting, yes. In terms of where to begin in Fire Emblem, um, it's fairly hard to acquire. I, I I think you can get it on Wii U these days. Like I yeah, think it it's is on the available. Through... Yeah, it's on the Wii U E Shop, which makes it somewhat hard to acquire. Still, um, <laughs> yes, you can buy it on eBay and play it on a GBA if you have one. It still holds up, in my opinion, especially if you've never played the series. Uh, unfortunately, of course, the other reason that Fire Emblem finally became popularized is that they made permadeath optional, and for a lot of people, permadeath. Mandatory permadeath is a bridge too far.
2: Oh, I'm glad they got rid of permadeath or at least made it optional.
1: I'm not. I think Fire Emblem is built on permadeath.
2: My heart can't take it.
1: I just think that turning off permadeath makes uh makes it trivial <laughs> cuz you can well, that's just, why you could uh, just brute force every level.
2: Yeah, but that's why you can turn
1: it on. And I can turn it off. And that's how yes. we get along. Everybody gets choices, but fire emblem 15th anniversary um last question for you nadia mm-hmm. where would you rank fire emblem in popularity of nintendo franchises oh i would let me see
2: here we got the upper tier which is like mario zelda pokemon it's not there obviously I would say it's definitely mid tier in terms of popularity. Uh, in terms of mobile popularity, interestingly, it's uh, number one. <laughs> I think. Other than that, Go.
1: I think Zelda is tier S. That's true. Uh, Pokemon is tier S minus. Mario is S minus minus. <laughs> Just like slowly below, <laughs> slightly below that. Uh huh. Um, and I think Fire Emblem is like tier a plus oh just that that is a good ranking yeah because it did once upon a time i would have said it's mere mid-tier uh-huh but i think that it has grown substantially in popularity since awakening and yes has perhaps developed more of a more of a mainstream gamer fan base it'll never break into that zelda kind of like top tier it's getting covered by cnn kind of stuff exactly yeah but it is still going to be a big deal when it comes out on nintendo switch and it's going to sell quite a few copies and i'm sure it's going to be extremely controversial in the gaming community because of course Okay, Nadia, last week we talked about Diablo 3 on the Switch, and as usual, we have some letters from people. Before we get into that, though, man, we only touched briefly on Diablo Immortal on mobile phone, but man, people sure did end up really hating that game, didn't they? Uh, yes, people,
2: people are very... people have opinions about Diablo Immortal. People are really passionate about it. They really are. And... Well, I wrote a piece about it, which uh last week, which you could read on the site, of course um I feel of course there's never any reason whatsoever to get like furiously angry about a video game or definitely never any reason to level abuse at a developer. but I also feel like Blizzard did not read the room.
1: No, they were addressing a hardcore fan base who had come to be excited about Diablo Four. I think it's a little asinine that a logo would have been enough to get them excited. Yes. But at the same time, like, maybe throw them a bone a little bit.
2: Yeah, um, you're right. It is absolutely asinine, but those logos work. Look at what it did for Metroid 4 and for Elder Scrolls 6.
1: Yeah, but Mike was making some points in Slack where he was going... He pointed out that Diablo 4 has gone through, like, two directors and apparently multiple changes. And so... I guess they just don't feel like they're really ready to take the wraps off yet. Like, mm-hmm. Diablo 4 might be a ways off. Yeah, but so is Elder Scrolls 6, and they did it I, anyway. I think they're kind of... Well, I mean, I think Elder Scrolls 6 is a game that's maybe a little more straightforward. I I think I think Blizzard is seriously like trying to figure out what they want to do with the series next.
2: That is true, because I think you brought it up. Uh, Path of Exile is kind of doing... The Diablo thing quite competently.
1: It's doing it competently, but I think Blizzard can come in and do basically what Path of Exile is doing, but in a more ex- accessible way. Mm-hmm. Path of Exile is a very hardcore game, and I actually found it a little bit hard to get into. Okay, that's
2: interesting. See, I've never played Path of Exile; I have no idea. But it's interesting that it would be hardcore because uh, Diablo is just so accessible.
1: Yeah, the progression is interesting. Like, I was um, having a hard time getting my head around uh, the progression in Path of Exile. Whereas Mm -hmm. in Diablo, it's extremely straightforward. And, I mean, it's the kind of game where, at base, you're just hacking and slashing through hordes of monsters with your friends. It's like there are deep elements in it, but that is the core of Diablo. And... I expect that when Diablo 4 does finally come out, there will be some kind of MMORPG aspect to it, m- more so than is right now. But I, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they're figuring it out. And in the meantime, like, yeah, Diablo Immortal's a misstep. I mean, no doubt about it. But at the same time, like, okay, here's a question for you, Nadia. Uh huh. If they had announced it, somewhere other than Blitzkamp, would people care? Um, not nearly as much.
2: They would there would have still been a lot of grumbling I think, but not fury.
1: Yeah. Because they were making it out to be like a marquee announcement, right?
2: Yes. Um I hadn't I hadn't been following any sort of Diablo 4 hype, but like my understanding was they were saying, "Oh, be excited for Diablo this this BlizzCon." Yeah.
1: It's a little like when EA put out, com- made a big deal out of Command and Conquer Rivals and was hy- hyping it up as an eSport. Oh yes, ouch! That didn't that went over like a lead balloon <laughs> during their E3 press
2: conference. Yes, God, people were pissed, and I'm, now I'm not. Now that a- is
1: not reading the room. Yeah, and I'm not a Command and Conquer fan, but I was just like, oh man, ouch okay chaotic Beats says i cannot put down diablo 3 on switch i made a demon hunter 2 and with rapid fire on it it almost feels like shmup i just ordered it for the ps4 so i can play on the big screen with my girlfriend i think i'm either gonna roll a monk or crusader game is so much fun (laughs) i mean wow okay double dipping blizzard is going (laughs) cha-ching they're like who needs diablo 4 we'll just keep on releasing diablo 3 Rider Kicker wants to know how the font size of Diablo 3 is on Switch. Well, what do you think, Nadia?
2: I have not had a big problem, but um my eyes are are okay as long as I have my glasses on. If I don't have my glasses on, I'm dead, but uh I I was actually someone who wrote an article about years ago about Skyrim's terrible font choices, so um as far as I can tell like from my perspective, uh, the fonts are fine on Diablo 3, but as someone who has more vision problems than myself might think differently.
1: Nice Guy Dion uh, says that Morrowind is the single best game about a stranger in a strange land that they've ever played. We added Morrowind to the top 25 RPG list in number 11 last week. Um, they say, failure is essential to games. Too many games want you to succeed without any consequence. But in Morrowind, I had one of my characters, a wood elf voucher, sneak into a home. The homeowner found me and attacked, so I killed him. A prompt came up telling me that I had doomed the world by killing this character and that I could either reload my game to another save or continue on in this doomed world. Wow, that's hardcore. To that's pretty cool. To preteen me, that was the biggest and boldest move a game had ever made. You can't win if you stay here, but we'll let you stay. I abandoned the main quest and became a wanderer, traveling around the land like a tourist waiting to die and accepting that I Only I knew the end was coming. I could do nothing for any of these people. So yeah, Morrowind is the best one. (laughs) Wow, that's grim. (laughs) Don't break into people's houses, I guess. And that's funny because that's such such an RPG staple. P-Dub says, but suffice it to say... Man, I gotta not geek out about talking about Morrowind, but suffice it to say it was the first video game that I thought was just as fun to watch someone else play as it was to play. My roommate and I wore my poor Xbox out playing marathon sessions of Morrowind. Funny enough, all of the advancements in AAA world games would work against Morrowind now. Half of the fun of the game was getting lost and distracted on the way to where you wanted to go. Hand-holding checkpoints and hints would ruin the mystery of a land where 100-foot-tall mushrooms are one of the least weird things in game. Did you ever play Morrowind,
2: Nadia? No, I'm really one of those casuals, those filthy casuals who came in with Skyrim.
1: Such a such a filthy casual. Very. Filthiest. Pandalol says, that last little bit about turning in a quest at the same time you picked it up reminded me of a situation I came across in Skyrim for the little bit I played it. First off, I'm bad at open world games, so I did the first intro set of quests and then went walking off into the wilderness. I went into a cave which had a temple thing in it. In the back was an altar with a skull. I picked up the skull, not thinking about it. Fast forward half a dozen caves or dungeons or whatever later, and I've been dumping trash all over the place to make room for things of value. (laughs) That skull has a value of zero, so I dropped it somewhere. So I finally decide to head to the first real town. I craft myself a full suit of dwarven iron armor, and I find a guy who gives me a quest to get a skull from an altar in a temple. Shit. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, Nightrunner says that they hate to be that guy. Oh, boy, here we go. But actually, Atelier, Esha, and Logi isn't a dating sim? (laughs) Actually. I'm currently on a second playthrough, and are there are any options to romancing the characters? Okay, the Atelier that I played had romance options. So, we were talking about a totally different game, I guess. Uh, it was Atelier Rorona was the one I played. Oh, okay. As someone who never owned an OG Xbox, I would love to see a remaster of Morrowind on the PS4. I remember playing the game on a friend's Xbox and being amazed by it. In fact, it captured my attention in a way that Oblivion and Skyrim weren't able to. I guess I could try it out on PC. Yeah, I would recommend playing it on PC because you can mod it. Mod it, mod it. There must be like a million great mods for Morrowind by now. Torcatus uh, says that Morrowind isn't very fun unless you break it with alchemy or spellcrafting, but they said the plot and setting are amazing, and their letter is actually pretty long, so it's hard for me to <laughs> actually read all of this one. Um... Ben Haskett says, still in the first minutes of this episode, but I wanted to throw another handful of confetti in Clash of Heroes on the DS. What a great game. There you go, Nadia. It's, it's a it's great game, and I,
2: I actually decided to download it again for Steam because that's one of the only places you can still find it. And, yeah, it's still a fantastic game.
1: Alex the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. As before, social media, me at the underscore clapbot, Nadia at Nadia Oxford do us a favor, leave us a review if you're enjoying the podcast on iTunes. We always love to hear from you, and it helps the visibility of the show. Over on the internet, we have a whole bunch of cool articles. Matt talked to real live cowboys and yes. asked them their opinions about Red Dead Redemption 2, and it was actually a really interesting article, Nadia. Yeah, um, it's actually uh, a lot of
2: fun to read, and I, I highly recommend it because uh, he got a, a- some really interesting responses from people. I remember at first being not so hopeful for the article because he was telling us about how his earliest responses were people saying, oh, I don't play games. I don't have time for that. They're for children. But um, I think he started to hear from younger ranchers who, for example, started telling him about how the switch is so perfect in during calving season because, you, you know, during calving season, you're up and down, in and out, and just take your switch with you while you're waiting for your cow to give birth.
1: I wrote about Morrowind. You can go read the companion piece for that. Uh, Katie did five Hitman twos disguises that shouldn't work but somehow do. <laughs> yes, and we ranked the five, twenty PlayStation Classic games ranked from best to worst. In which I discovered, hmm, you know, there are only really eight good games on that list, if that. That's being a little generous. I, have I don't list. think so. I mean, Ridge Racer is a good game. You just put it way too low, Nadia. Okay,
2: I put Ridge Racer too low, but I mean. Uh, am I gonna play Final Fantasy VII again if I have it on my Vita? Am I gonna play Metal Gear Solid again when I have like a remaster hanging around somewhere? You know what
1: I mean. Uh, is there a remaster of Metal Gear Solid? I don't know. Maybe there's not. Okay. <laughs> God, that, Nadia, that shut me up. Uh, <laughs> the Final Fantasy VII remake is never coming out. No, no,
2: but it's great on the Vita because it's just it's like playing. And it has come into the Switch, for God's sake. There you go. Final Fantasy VII on the Switch. It's not the remake. I don't care. It's a portable Final Fantasy VII. I'm good. I'm sold.
1: There was a news article earlier this week about Tetsuya Nomura being like, you know, it'd be fun to revisit the compilation of Final Fantasy. I'm like, no! No, just no, it's finish freaking the game! Wooden.
2: Just just put down whatever you're thinking of and go finish the game, and please don't give us another compilation of Final Fantasy VII. I will, I will throw myself off a cliff.
1: Mini-rant... Just, they should have let Numura finish Kingdom Hearts 3 and put somebody else on Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Okay? That's I, all I, I have totally to say agree. about that. I agree. Give it to, uh, give it to Tabata. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> give it to Tabata so he can throw it in the garbage on his way out, I guess. He would have done a competent job. But yeah, you put Final Fantasy 7 on the top of the list. I don't know if I agree with that, but maybe you have a strong opinion on that. I do. But uh, maybe we'll discuss that next time. So, yes, let's. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for Nadia and myself, happy adventuring.